series of messages I've been preaching entitled um, An Accounting of Our Affection. You and I have been discovering that it's important for us not only to do an accounting of our assets, but it's even more important to do an accounting of our affection. As I mentioned this morning, I know that uh, many of you, maybe all of you, but at least many of you are in the process of getting everything together and uh, so that you can do an accounting of what you've made this year and, and uh, what you've spent this year and getting ready to uh, file uh, those uh, taxes. And some of you are going to owe some money uh, to the old tax collector. That is, you're going to have to send some money in. And I uh, know that you're excited uh, to do that. Now, if you were a skunk, you wouldn't have to pay any taxes. Now, you know why the skunk doesn't pay any taxes, don't you? He only has one cent. I feel like I ought to apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Nevertheless, uh, it's time to do an accounting. And if it's time, from time to time, you and I have to do an accounting of our assets. That was bad, wasn't it, Jim? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Jim liked it, so that tells me it wasn't that great. Uh, (laughs) Well, anyway, it's time to do an accounting. And if it's important to do an accounting of our assets, how much more important, how much more important Is it for you and I to do an accounting of our affection? As a matter of fact, there may be a slight connection between our assets and our affection. You see, as you and I have been thinking about this, we've discovered it's really important for us to figure out what it is that we love and what we should love and and, uh, how we're doing with what God tells us that we should love and also what He tells us that we shouldn't love as well. The writer of Hebrews is trying to help us with that. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter number 13, in this last chapter, we've, we've looked at what he writes to us about doing an accounting of our affection for the people of God. And that is, the Bible says in verse 1, that you and I should let brotherly love uh, continue. We've also uh, looked at what he writes here about doing an accounting of our affection for <clears throat> pilgrims and strangers. That is, that you and I ought to uh, be ready to entertain strangers. Literally, it means to love strangers. One of those phileo words, a love word, to love uh, strangers. And we also discovered in verse number three that we need to give an accounting of our affection for the persecuted and the suffering. The Bible talks uh, uh, about those who are in bonds and that is in jail, those being persecuted for the gospel, and those who are suffering various kinds of adversity in their life or have all kinds of different suffering going on in their life. And the Bible insinuates that we ought to love uh, those who are suffering. If there's anybody that needs to be loved, it's those who are going through suffering. And if there's anybody ought to love them, it ought to be those who have the love of God living on the inside of them. We ought to ask ourselves, how am I doing there? I mean, how's everything adding up in my life when it comes to my affection for the persecuted and the suffering. We dealt with verse number four in several services. We looked at, uh, at a, what we called an accounting of our affection for our partner in life. And that is the one that we're married to. The Bible says a marriage is honorable in all. And we talked about the honor of marriage. And, and then we discovered that marriage is also holy. The bed is undefiled. And those who step outside the relationship of marriage to, ex- to express their sexuality, those who are whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And we spent some time, and I hope adequately so, to deal with this important topic. And that is, you and I need to do an accounting of our affection for our partner in life. And whether or not our love is centered on that person, and those of you that are unmarried, to preserve the love of your heart 
and the affection of your sexuality to protect that and guard that for the person that God is going to have you marry someday. You ought to guard that in your life. And I tried to explain how to do that. In the service this morning, I went through seven things that I believe are a, are a real help for you and I in the area of guarding ourselves so that we can protect the affection that we have for our spouse, for our partner in life, or a future spouse uh, if you're not married. And uh, so that's really important, that is, to do an accounting of how am I doing with loving my spouse, the affection that I have for my spouse. We need to do an accounting of that in the culture that we live in. And so I want you to notice with me now that we not only is the author of Hebrews writing about an accounting of our affection for the people of God, for pilgrims and strangers, for the persecuted and the suffering, and for our partner in life, but also he writes about doing an accounting of our affection for our possessions and money. Our possessions and money. I said to you that there is a sort of connection between our assets and our affection. And that is that it's possible for you and I to get our affections set on our possessions and our money. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing about that. As a matter of fact, in verse number 5, he uses another one of those phileo kind of words. And that is a word that contains uh, the love word, the phileo word on the inside of us. When he writes this, he said, let your conversation be without covetousness. Now, when he writes about our conversation, he's writing about our manner of life or our lifestyle, the way that we are uh, living. And the Bible says that we ought to be living a lifestyle that doesn't have any covetousness. And that word covetousness there is a word, it's a phileo word, which means the love of money. The love of material things. In other words, as you and I are journeying through life, one of the things that we need to stop and do an accounting of is where am I when it comes to loving possessions and money? You see, if you and I love possessions and money, then we are, by very definition, covetous. So the Bible is telling us here that's what covetousness is. It is that phileo word that refers to our love for money, our love for material uh, possessions. Listen, this is an affection that you and I must not allow to be present in our life. The Bible says here that you and I need to have a conversation that is or a manner of life that doesn't have any covetousness in it. This is one kind of love that the author of Hebrews is saying you shouldn't have. Hey, when it comes to the people of God, you ought to love them. And when it comes to pilgrims and strangers, you ought to love them. And when it comes to the persecuted and suffering, you ought to love them. And when it comes to your partner in life, you ought to love him or her. But when it comes to, to possessions and money, then you and I should not love possessions and money. That is, it should not be the affection of our heart. Now, you and I are going to have to stop and do some accounting here. And the reason why is because you and I are raised up in a culture that not only, as I said in the services this morning, that not only, ladies and gentlemen, is a culture that promotes uh, sexuality, sexual expression outside of marriage, but it also is a society that promotes covetousness. You and I live in a world that revolves around covetousness. We live in an economic system that is built on covetousness. That is, the world that we live in, ladies and gentlemen, is a world that dangles covetousness in front of you every single day. 
Every day somebody dangles something in front of you, whether it be on your computer, on your phone, or on your, tele, on your television, whatever you use for media. Something is being, or maybe it's just driving down the road and watching, reading a billboard, but something has been dangled in front of you that says you need this. This is what you need. And the reason why you need it is because it's going to change your life. You're never going to be the same. And when you watch the commercials, if, uh, the, whoever is, uh, whatever the commercial is about, everybody is happy that is doing this or that is taking this and, and uh, that's taking this supplement or this medication or is buying this object or driving this car. They've got the biggest old smile on their face and they look as happy as anybody could ever be. And the reason why is because there's a message being sent to you, and that is you need this. But ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of things that, that advertisers want to make you think that you need that God says you don't. That God says you don't need. And for that reason, we've got to back up and take a look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do I love my possessions and my money? That is, am I uh, covetous? Now, this is not a new concept, and this is an old one. The Hebrews in the Old Testament were warned about covetousness as well as the Hebrews in the New Testament here in the book of Hebrews. This roots itself all the way back, ladies and gentlemen, at least uh, to the Ten Commandments. You remember that whenever God was giving out the Ten Commandments, when he was revealing the law to Moses back in Exodus chapter number 20, when Moses went up on the Mount Sinai and God began to reveal to him the Old Testament law. And uh, the reason why that God was giving him the Old Testament law is because this is the laws or the principles that he intended for the Israel to live by when they get into the land of Canaan and become the nation that he promised them they would become. God is saying to them, if you want to live long in the land, if you want to do well as a nation, then here are some things you're going to have to do. And here are some things that you're going to have to stop and not allow in your life. And, uh, and there are many of them, aren't there? There are many different commands uh, in the Old Testament law. Some of them get rather tedious and hard uh, to deal with, but all of these are given to them so that they can become the kind of culture and nation that would honor God and glorify God and would set them apart as a holy nation that could be God's light to the rest of the nations. That was God's purpose. He gave them these Ten Commandments to set them apart. And the last of the Ten Commandments, ladies and gentlemen... Not the least, but certainly last on the list, but certainly not the least of them is the commandment, the 10th commandment found here in Exodus chapter number uh, 20. Some of you will remember this uh, commandment in Exodus chapter number 20. The Bible tells us after listing all of the other commandments in verse 17, the Bible says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, thy neighbor's house, or his neighbor's wife, or his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Now, it's amazing how covetousness and adultery, they kind of uh, overlap one another, don't they? And that is, as somebody who commits adultery with someone else's spouse, uh, what they are doing is they are coveting after uh, their spouse. And so covetousness and adultery kind of go together hand in hand. And we're going to find out that covetousness and idolatry go together hand in hand as well. That is the first commandment, not to have any idols, not to worship any other gods, ladies and gentlemen, goes hand in hand with the last commandment, thou shalt not covet. This, this commandment, thou shalt not covet, intertwines with many of the other commandments. Maybe that's the reason why that it is the last one that is given. Thou shalt not 
covet. Don't covet anything that belongs uh, to your neighbor. That is uh, his wife and uh, his servants and and uh, his animals and his house or anything your neighbor has, somebody else or somebody else has, don't covet after uh, that. Covetousness is forbidden in this 10th commandment. Not coveting something that belongs to somebody else. Now this command that was given to the Old Testament people of God is confirmed in the New Testament. You say, well, that's under the Old Testament law. We are not under the law. Preacher, when are you ever going to get that? We're not under the law. Well, listen, you're going to have to tell Jesus about that and maybe the Apostle Paul and some others as well. And the reason why is because there are some commands that are confirmed in the New Testament as being obligatory for God's people in the New Testament. This is something you ought to do or this is something that you should not do. We read it right there in Hebrews 13, 5, and that is that your conversation, your manner of life should be without covetousness. Let me read a few other verses in the New Testament to confirm that with you. For example, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 3. In Ephesians 5, 3, the Bible says this. Now, I've read this verse when I was preaching on fornication, but listen to it again. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. That is, covetousness is placed in the same in the same category as fornication and uncleanness, the Bible says, let it not be once, not even once named among you as becometh saints. Now, when the Bible talks here about what, be, what is becoming to saints, it means what looks good on you, <clears throat> what fits you well. In other words, you might, uh, uh, might try on a new article of clothing and ask someone, how does this look on, me, on you, on me? And somebody might say, well, it's not very becoming. Of you, And what they're saying is that it just doesn't fit you quite right or it doesn't look quite right on you or maybe it's just not quite the right color uh, that goes along with, uh, with who you are. But it's just not very becoming. Uh, it doesn't look right on you. And ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that do not look right on the saints of God. There are some things, ladies and gentlemen, that shouldn't even be, they shouldn't even be worn one time. Not even once. Have you ever gotten an article of clothing and you said, I don't like it, it doesn't look good on me, but I'm going to wear it one time. And the reason why you usually wear it one time is because somebody gave it to you and you don't want to hurt their feelings. And so you at least wear it one time so that they'll see that you wore what it is that you gave them. I'll at least wear it one time. Hey, covetousness is one of those things that God's people shouldn't even wear one time. The Bible says in the verse that I read to you that it shouldn't be even once named among you as becometh saints. It looks so bad on you as a child of God, as a holy child of God, as a saint. It looks so bad on you as a saint that you shouldn't even wear it one time no matter who gave it to you. I'm talking about covetousness right now. And that is you shouldn't have it on you. It shouldn't be a part of your life at all. At all. Not even once. Now, I'm not talking to you about the Old Testament commandment. I'm talking about a New Testament principle right about now. We're in the book of Ephesians. By the way, Paul didn't just write that to the Ephesians. He wrote it to the Colossians as well. In Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 5, I want you to listen to what it says. The Bible says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Now, I dealt with this verse uh, not too long ago, and some of you were here when I was talking about mortifying, putting to death uh, certain parts of your life. I said to you that the word mortify here is translated from a word from which we get the word mortician. In other words, listen, if you're going to be a child of God and you're going to be what God wants you to be and live in victory, you're going to have to become a mortician. 
A mortician is somebody who handles the dead. And you're going to have to learn how to handle the dead. And what you need to mortify or put to death, ladies and gentlemen, is described in verse number 5, and I'm going to give you the list. And first of all, the very first one is fornication. I think that's why we would dealt with this verse in a previous message. You've got to put this to death in your life. That is, this has to be dead in your life and never given any more life. Not only fornication, but also uncleanness and inordinate affection. These are words that go along with the idea of sexual uh, immorality or fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and evil concupiscence. And listen to this, and covetousness is right there in that list with all of these sexual sins. Those who go beyond the boundaries of normal in relationship to sexuality, right there in that list with all of that is covetousness. The Bible is saying you need to put it to death in your life. Mortify, mortician that in your life. Put it to death in your life. I'm talking about covetousness. And then it adds that little phrase, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. And the reason why is because those who are covetous, they love their money and their possessions more than they love God. That is, they place that ahead of God. As a matter of fact, and I preached this to you before, and let me remind you that when you're reading in the Old Testament about nations who worshipped idols, and you're sitting there scratching your head wondering why they would make a little wooden statue or a little stone statue, or a big one for that matter, and worship a statue or an idol, why would they do that? Ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't because of the statue itself. It's because of what it represented. It represented what they believed was a god, a little g. They believed that there were many gods, and they had these symbols symbolizing these gods that they believed in, and they believed that these gods could prosper them if they would worship them. Baal is the storm god. You worship Baal and you get the rain. If you get the rain, your crops grow. If you have a good crop, guess what you have in your pocket? Money. Yeah. And so, we're gonna, and so they worshiped idols and they were motivated by covetousness. That is the motivation behind idolatry is covetousness. What I'm trying to describe to you is what the New Testament says about covetousness. That is, it shouldn't be named. It doesn't, it doesn't look good on you. You shouldn't wear it one time. Not only that, but you should mortify it. It ought to be something you put to death in your life. You should. By the way, if you're going to be a leader in a church, you should not be given to covetousness. Or it disqualifies you. <laughs> You say, Pastor, are you sure? Let me read it to you in the New Testament in 1 Timothy chapter number 3. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, the Bible is giving a list of qualifications for those, ladies and gentlemen, who are described as bishops and also as deacons. The word bishop that is used here is a word that means overseer. It's describing that person that had the responsibility of overseeing the life of the church. It seems like that the word bishop is also used uh, in, uh, in the same way that the word elder is used, and also in the same word that the past, word pastor is used in the New Testament, probably describing the same office. But the Bible describes those who are bishops and those who are deacons. The word deacon means somebody who serves, somebody who waits on tables. Literally, it is a servant of the church. You've got an overseer of the church, and you have a servant in the church. And the Bible describes those who are qualified for those leadership uh, positions. With regard to those who are bishops, the Bible says in verse number 3 of this chapter that they, are, they cannot be given to wine. No striker, not somebody who's a fighter, but listen now, and not greedy of filthy lucre. 
That is, if you're qualifying for the role of a bishop and overseeing the church, you cannot be greedy. Ladies and gentlemen, cannot be greedy. It's also true of the deacon when you look on down and read in verse number 8. The Bible says, Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, and not greedy of filthy lucre. So it's one of the qualifications for leaders in the church. By the way, this isn't the only time uh, that Paul wrote about this. In Titus chapter number 1 and verse number 7, he said, A bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, and not given to filthy lucre. I see a pattern, don't you? By the way, when Peter was writing in 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 2, we uh, see this uh, again. In 1 Peter chapter number 5 and verse number 2, the Bible says that Peter's writing to the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, and he said to them in verse number 2, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, the bishop word, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, and not for filthy lucre but of a ready mind. The phrasing means this, is that, is, is that a leader in a church, whether it be in the role of a bishop or an overseer or the role of a deacon, cannot be motivated by love of money, by covetousness. That is, if a man loves money, he's disqualified from leadership. See, God's taking this thing pretty serious, isn't it? You shouldn't wear it once. You should mortify it, put it to death in your life. And you should not allow anybody to lead your church in the position of overseer and deacon who's greedy and covetous, that loves possessions and money. This commandment forbidding covetousness applies just as much to us today as it did when it was given to Israel in the Old Testament law through Moses. Now, what is covetousness? Let's think about it for just a moment. Warren Wiersbe defines it this way, and I enjoy reading Warren Wiersbe's commentaries, and here's how he defines covetousness, and I'm quoting, it is to feed inward desires for anything that God says is sinful. In the context of the Ten Commandments, the Israelites were commanded not to covet anything that belonged that didn't belong to them, and, uh, and that which they didn't have a right to have. That is the personal property of somebody else, somebody's wife, somebody's servant, somebody's uh, oxen, somebody's uh, house, something that belonged to somebody else that you didn't have a right to have. If you don't have a right to have it, then you should not be desiring after it. If it's not yours to have, you shouldn't be desiring after it. So the best way, I believe, to define covetousness, to say what is covetousness, and this would be my definition, it is the desire to have what God does not will for you to have. If you desire after what it is not the will of God for you to have, that is covetousness. Covetousness itself has to do with the affection of the heart and not just the actions that we take. Covetousness can lead to actions. It can lead to stealing. It can lead to lying. It can lead to murder. It can lead to adultery. Ladies and gentlemen, it can lead to idolatry, as I've already tried to explain. Covetousness is the reason why people worship idols. It is the reason why that people commit adultery. They covet after somebody that is not the will of God for them to have. It's one of the motivations for murder. It's one of the motivations for lying. It's one of the motivations, ladies and gentlemen, for stealing. It is covetousness. Covetousness itself 
Ladies and gentlemen, while it can lead to action, it begins with the affection of our heart. That is, covetousness itself is the affection coming from within our fallen nature that seeks to have, that is lusting after, that is, that is a set its love or its sight or its affection on what it is not God's will for us to have. We say it with our mouth and don't even think about it, and that is, we see something and listen, without even knowing whether it's the will of God for us to have it, we would say something like this. I would love to have that. We do it all the time. You see that big, you see that big truck going down the road? You guys see that big thing? I mean, it's a $70,000 truck on sale. And uh, you see that going around the road? And you say, I'd love to have that. Yeah. We do it all the time. You see something advertised on television, you say, I'd love to have that. And what we are exposing is the reality of covetousness. It's coming from the affection of our heart. That is, we have been trained, and you and I have been shaped to love possessions and money. You were taught that when you were a little kid. By the time you were just a little fella or a little lady, by the time, listen, you knew who your name was, you were already being shaped this way. That is, we're shaped that way by our culture. We're shaped that way by the influences all around us, whether it be our parents or whether it be our grandparents or whether it be our our schooling, whatever it might be. And that is, the the media we watch, we're being shaped for this. We're molded into this idea that life is all about, it is all about money and possessions. That's what life really is all about. And we develop on the inside of us a love or an affection. For that. Now, all of us have been infected with this disease called covetousness. The very thing that God commands not to be named once among the saints, the very thing that God says you need to mortify and put to death in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, that very thing is the one thing that you and I have been shaped to believe and hold to and to love. You and listen. We do not have the right, you and I do not have the right to have the personal property of somebody else. And if it's not God's will for us to have something that we, ladies and gentlemen, have no right to it. And if you and I begin to desire after, have an affection for what it is not God's will for us to have, that is covetousness. Now listen, if it's God's will for you to have it, and there's something stirring on the inside of you, that wants it, and it's God's will for you to have it, that's not covetousness. It certainly isn't. And uh, if you need a new truck, and you really do, you need a new truck, and you've been looking around, and you see one going down the road, and say, if the Lord allows me to have a new truck, I'd like to have one like that. And so you get to praying about it, and you go to the place where they sell that truck, and you look at it, and you prayed about it, you prayed about it, your spouse, if your marriage prayed about it, and the Lord gives you liberty to purchase that truck. Now, that's not covetousness. You're just seeking to obey the will of God for your life. But ladies and gentlemen, if we get to desiring after and having an affection for and wanting that which is not the will of God for us to have, then ladies and gentlemen, that's what covetousness 
is. It's the desire to have what God's will is not for you to have. We're trying to just figure out what this is. Now, knowing what covetousness is, we should then understand uh, what it is not. That is, and that it's not just for the wealthy. Covetousness is not something that just the wealthy have a problem with. You see, that's sort of where some of us are at and we say, well, I'm not covetous. I don't have a whole lot. I got a little bit, but not a whole lot. It's those wealthy folks. I mean, the wealthy in our society. Now, they're the ones who are covetous. Did you know that covetousness has nothing to do with what you possess? It has to do with what you don't possess, but love to have. So it doesn't matter whether a person is wealthy or just barely getting by or living in poverty. We can all be guilty of covetousness. And listen to me, we all are struggling with covetousness. As a matter of fact, when he was speaking to the people of Judah, Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 6.13, and I believe it applies probably to our culture, and that is, for from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, that is, from the poorest to the richest, everyone is given to covetousness. It may well be true in our day as well. I'm trying to figure out what covetousness is. And the reason why I'm trying to do that is so I can tell you how dangerous covetousness is. I mean, why is it that we have these commands, don't be covetous, thou shalt not covet? I mean, why do you get to the New Testament and, and you start reading Paul's letters and Paul says, not, a, not named even once as becometh the saints. Mortify it, put it to death in your life. Like a, listen, like a snake crawling across the floor, kill that thing, get rid of it. Isn't that what you would do? Now, some of you wouldn't do that, but if you came to my house and there was a snake crawling across the floor, uh, I would have my wife get a... <laughs> No, I'm going to tell you, that thing is not going to survive. Now, some of you, we would just, you'd just play with it, and you'd gather it up, and you'd pet it, and, and uh, you'd give it a name, and, uh, and everything else. Maybe you'd call it Charlie the Snake. I don't know what it would be. But nevertheless, you'd, uh, you'd baby that snake. But if, listen, if one comes into my house, that is one thing, among a few other things, that's one thing that is not going to survive. Well, God tells us that one of the things that should not survive in our life has nothing to do with snakes, but it has everything to do with the love of money. That is with covenant. It should not survive. It ought to be the one of the things that you say, you know what? That will not be in my house. That will not be in my home. That will not be in my heart. Covetousness, no place in me at all. That's the one thing that is going to not survive in my house, in my home. That is, in my heart, the love of money. I'm going to put it to death. Why is God saying that to us? I mean, why is he telling us that? He knows what we struggle with. He knows how we were raised. He knows the culture that we're living in. We live in a materialistic Covetous culture that, ladies and gentlemen, revolves around the love of money. And God knows that, so why would he tell us all of that? The reason why is because he loves us so much. And, ladies and gentlemen, he's trying to protect us from the danger that covetousness brings into our life. You say, how do you know that? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. Take heed and beware. It's like a sign, isn't it? It's like one of those beware signs. In other words, if next time you come to my house and you drive by, and you, maybe you just do a drive by my house and you see a sign on the door, 
He said, I wonder what that sign says. One of the preachers got a sign on it. What does it say? And so you stop and you look around and say, well, he's not here. I'm going to sneak up there and see what the sign says. And so you sneak up to my house and you look at that sign. And there's a big red sign and it says, beware of snakes. It's a warning. It's a warning of danger there. Now, listen, I don't have any snakes in my house. Some of you are getting a little nervous right about now. At least that I know of. And, um, but if you see a sign like that, it's a warning. You better watch out. Watch out for snakes. I see a lot of beware of dog signs, and I try to watch those uh, pretty close. And uh, I won't get into that, Brother Greg. Again, I've told that story so many times, haven't I? You all know that, don't you? Brother Greg and I were out on visitation one day. I'll tell it again. We were out on visitation one day, and I had this car. I just got this car. I didn't have it too long, if I remember right. And it's got one of those fancy little remote control things where you can lock and unlock your doors with a remote. And I thought, golly, this thing's pretty neat. And I found out that if you hit that lock uh, once, that it'll unlock the driver's side, but not the passenger side. You got to hit it twice to unlock the passenger side. Well, Brother Greg and I were out on visitation when I was in my car, and, and we was at a person's house, and, and uh, I don't think there was anybody home, but uh, it was, uh, there was a dog that noticed us, and he noticed us really well, and he was not looking very friendly, and so we headed back to the car, and of course the car was locked, and I hit that thing one time, and I jumped in the car, but I forgot to hit it a second time. <laughs> And Brother Greg's standing there trying to get in the car and the door is locked and the dog is looking at him with this look in his eye like, I'm really hungry. (laughs) Here's what Jesus said. He's got a beware sign up for us. And you know what he's telling us to beware of? Covetousness. The reason why is because it's so dangerous. Covetousness. Listen, this command not to covet is not given to us to deprive us of something good, but to protect us from something dangerous. It sure is. You say, why is covetous so dangerous? Because covetousness is a liar. It is a liar. Covetousness, ladies and gentlemen, will cause you to believe a lie. The love of possessions and money is lying to you. Covetousness, ladies and gentlemen, promises an abundant life, but all it gives you is an empty death. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? In Luke chapter number 12, we, uh, in verse number 15, listen again to what it says. Listen to what our Lord said. I'm going to read it to you. And then after we read that, we're going to look at another passage. Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Warning. Danger. Here's why. For or because a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. The reason why you need to be warned about the danger of covetousness is because, ladies and gentlemen, your life is not about your possessions and money. It's not what life's about. The purpose of your life is not just to gain possessions and money. There's something more important about you, about your life, than just what you have the possessions and money that, are, that belong to you. It's not what life's about. And then Jesus tells a story about this rich man, this rich farmer. That is, he starts right into the story after saying that about the rich farmer. The rich farmer who was so wealthy, had such great crops that he decided to tear down all of his old barns, his small barns, and build these great big barns to contain all of his wealth. 
His wealth was measured in terms of the harvest of his crop. And so he has all this money and all this wealth. And he said, I'm going to build these bigger barns. I'm going to store all of that in there. And I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And that is, I'm wealthy now. I'm rich. I've hit the American dream. That is, I found the pot of gold. And I'm going to kick back and enjoy the rest of my life, enjoying all of my wealth. Tear down the old ones and build the bigger ones and got all this money Oh, soul, he said to himself, you've got enough, you've got enough laid up for, the, for years to come. Years to come. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then God spoke. And he said this. He said, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall all these things be? Well, the answer is this. It's going to be everybody else's stuff. You know what covetousness did? Lied to him. Covetousness promised him an abundant life. Eat, drink, and be merry. Instead, it gave him an empty death. He left with none of that. None of it. Now listen. There are many, many people in our culture. Many that you know. Maybe some in this room. That have bought into this lie. That life is all about. Possessions. And money. It's a lie. You say well if you want to live well. You got to have that. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that one of these days your life is going to be over. And if you've lived, if you have lived for possessions and money, if that's what you've lived for, then you'll die an empty death. I'm trying to describe to you why the Lord warned us about covetousness as though it's something dangerous. It's because it's a liar. It promises an abundant life, but all it produces is an empty death. Why don't you ask, let's ask Judas Iscariot. You remember Judas, don't you? Judas Iscariot was the one that was following our Lord. He thought that Jesus was going to establish his grand and glorious kingdom. And he thought, I'm going to be a part of that. And he was following our Lord. As a matter of fact, he was the trusted treasurer of the group and was handling uh, the money. And ladies and gentlemen, late in our Lord's ministry, as it became obvious that the Jewish leaders were lying in wait and planning to arrest our Lord and to destroy him, that is to, uh, to get rid of him, that is to kill him, when it became obvious that this thing wasn't going to go, Judas thought to himself, and I'm reading between the lines, he thought to himself, this isn't going to go. They're going to get him. He's going to be gone. He's going to be, he's going to be killed. And, and uh, here I am given uh, these three years to, to this, and I need to get what I can out of it. And I'm going to go to the Jewish leaders, and I'm going to say, listen, if you want him, I can sell him out to you for a certain price. 30 pieces of silver it turned out to be. And that is a this greedy man. Because of the greed and covetousness of his heart, he wanted to get out of this what he could while he could still get something out of it. He thought he was getting a good deal, ladies and gentlemen. And he betrayed our Lord and he was arrested and he died on that cross, ladies and gentlemen. And this man realized, he began to understand the gravity of what he'd done. And ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says he took that 30 pieces of silver, went back to the temple, threw it into the temple, and he went out and he hung himself. That's the love of money. 
covetousness is a liar. It promises that if you have all of these things, that you will be living a great life. But all it produces is an empty death. It's a liar. We could start naming celebrities, couldn't we? That died a miserable, lonely, and empty death. Who spent their life accumulating wealth that you and I only hear about on the news. Covetousness. It's a liar. Ladies and gentlemen, promises an abundant life but gives you an empty death. It promises to make you popular but ends up making you a fool. Oh yeah, remember the rich, the rich man, but what God called him? He said, thou fool. This man thought he's going to be the most popular man around. Here he is. He's had this great crop building these big barns. Probably everybody that drives by the farm. Listen, people are going to drive by. They're going to get a tour bus going and they're just going to drive by his farm just to see those big old barns that he built. People are going to drive by and look at him. People see him out somewhere, they're going to want to shake this guy's hand because of the success that he's accomplished. Oh, when the red carpet is rolled out, he'll be walking on the red carpet. Oh, yeah. He's seeing it all right now. He says, tear down the old barns, build the bigger ones. Everybody's going to be looking up to me. Promises popularity. But in the end, he is nothing but a fool. I love what Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 17, 11. He says, as the partridge sitteth on eggs and hatches them not. So he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days. And at the end shall be a fool. The reason why that we're warned about covetousness is because it's a liar. Covetousness promises to bring you satisfaction, but all it provides is more discontentment. The love of money, listen to me, covetousness is never satisfied by its very nature. Always looking for more than God has provided for you. Never satisfied to live within the means that God has provided for you but always envious of others, always looking for something more, never satisfied with what it is that you have. The writer of Ecclesiastes noticed this and wrote this. So he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. Those who love possessions and money never get to the point that they're satisfied with what they have. It's always something else. The reason why that covetousness, ladies and gentlemen, we're warned against it is because it is a liar. Also because it is a destroyer. Now you may notice a pattern here. And that is when Jesus exposed the devil, he described him in John eight forty four as a liar and a murderer. And I want to say to you that one of the ways that this liar and murderer operates is through covetousness, love of money and greed. Covetousness not only is a liar, but it is a destroyer. It brings destruction into your life. That is, covetousness will bring personal destruction. It can destroy you personally. That is, it destroys our soul. 
our inner life. When I'm talking about our soul, I'm talking about who you are as a person. It destroys your character. Covetousness will destroy your soul. It, listen, here's how it does it. It corrupts your values. It twists your thoughts. It captures your affection. And it perverts your desires. Covetousness does all of that to you in your soul. We'll say it again. What covetousness does to the soul. And that is, it corrupts your values. So you're valuing things that aren't important. It twists your thoughts. So that you're thinking about all the things that you need when you don't need them at all. It captures your affection. So that what you're loving is possessions and money. And not people and the master. Listen. It perverts your decisions. So that you actually make decisions. Or making decisions that are destroying you. Why would somebody make a decision that would destroy them? The reason why is because of greed and covetousness. Greed and covetousness. Ladies and gentlemen. We see that happening on a national level in our country today. I will not get political, but I will say to you that, listen, covetousness and greed is destroying our nation. And one of these days we're going to wake up and see that. There's coming a day, and some of you, listen, you may be gone before it happens, but some of you may well see the day when covetousness, listen, when covetousness, the consequences of covetousness and greed, ladies and gentlemen, will be felt throughout this nation like a shockwave. It destroys, our, it destroys the soul of an individual and of a nation. Listen, covetousness can destroy your body by causing uh, disease and even premature death. You say, Pastor, are you sure about that? I'll give you some examples in a few moments of that. It sure can. The Bible tells us about it in 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Look at what it says. In 1 Timothy chapter number 6, notice what the Bible says. It says in verse number 9, They that will be rich... Those who want to be rich, who love being rich, who want to be rich, they fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in what? Destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. That is, when you see evil, evil, when you trace it down to its root, it's rooted in the love of money, which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through. That is, they do this to themselves. They pierce themselves. They destroy themselves, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. He's writing about those who want to be rich, those who are covetous, who want to have more than it is for the will of God for them to have. And he tells us here that what happens to them is that they will fall. Those ladies and gentlemen that will be rich, they're going to fall. And uh, a fall that's going to end in destruction. You say, well, where are they going to fall? Into temptation. It's a picture, ladies and gentlemen, it seems to be a picture of an animal that's being lured to a baited trap. An animal being lured to a baited trap. Along with snakes, one of the other things that I would not allow to survive in my house is a mouse. And that is, if it's a mouse in the house, and by the way, uh, we've now think we've ever had a mouse in the house where we live that I can remember anyway. We had a gerbil one time, didn't we? And uh, it didn't live long either, but... It's buried in the backyard somewhere, and uh, I won't get into that. That's another story in itself. It's buried out there by the possum, but that's another story too. (laughs) And the cat. No, I better be quiet. 
telling too many stories. Exactly. A mouse isn't going to survive. Now, the reason why a mouse isn't going to survive, ladies and gentlemen, is because if I notice that there's a mouse in the house, I'm going to set a trap. I like those old-fashioned traps, don't you? I sure do. My daughter likes them as well because every once in a while I get that call and says, Dad, what are you doing? It's not a, it's not a relaxed call. So I'm like, Dad, what are you doing? And, uh, and to know that she wants something, and, and it's been more than once. And one night it was when we get ready to go out on visitation. Jim, I got that call. Dad, what are you doing? And he said, so I'm getting talking, Jenny, you're talking to Jim. And she said, well, could you come over? Here's a mouse on my trap. And so I had to go to the house and get rid of the mouse. And, uh, but I'm going to set one of those traps. And she has one of those, one of those old-fashioned kind of traps. And you spring that little uh, piece of uh, metal back. And you uh, put a little peanut butter or a little cheese on it. And, and that mouse, listen, that mouse gets to looking at that. And all of a sudden, greed and covetousness rise up on the inside of that mouse. And he says, I would really love to have that. Sure. Oh, listen. He wants just a little bit more. He's been eating everything in the house, but he wants a little bit more. He just can't let that little bit of peanut butter go by. And you know what he did? He fell into temptation. He's being, the temptation is he's being lured into a trap. He sure is. The Bible calls it a snare here in verse number 9 of 1 Timothy 6. He's being tempted into a snare or a trap. And that little mouse gets to sniffing around on that peanut butter. He said, that's the real deal. That's not just any peanut butter. That's creamy Jeff peanut butter. That's what he's thinking to himself. It's the best. I can't let it go by. And he starts eating. And before long, some of you are feeling sorry for the mouse, aren't you? Yeah. He's snared. That's what the Bible is talking about here. Those that be rich, those that want more, those who are not satisfied with what they have, they step, they fall into temptation, and they find themselves snared. Snared in what is described as foolish and hurtful lust. They find themselves snared with desires, desiring that which is going to destroy them. That is that drowned men that destroy them in, in destruction and perdition in verse number 9. They fall into a snare. That is, they fall into a baited trap. Now they can't get free. They're trapped in this snare and they cannot get free from it. They're in a situation now because of covetousness they can't get away from like that little mouse in the trap that's described as foolish and hurtful lust. That is, their emotions are affected so that they begin to desire that which is foolish and harmful. That is, if that little mouse, if he only knew, don't, listen, what you're experiencing is foolish and hurtful lust. If you keep, listen, your emotions have been deceived. Your desire is going to lead to destruction. Stop. Stop. When covetousness begins to destroy, it destroys your judgment. So that you step into a snare. It will destroy your freedom. It will trap you in that snare. In a situation that you can't get free from easily. Covetousness will drown your personal life. 
with destruction. According to verse number 10, it will cause you to err from the faith and cause you to pierce your own self through with many sorrows. Maybe that's why the Lord warned us. Put up that beware sign. Take heed and beware of covetousness. You remember Achan, don't you? In the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, the city of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down. Achan was among them that went into the city. And as God told Joshua, they were to destroy everything inside the city and keep nothing. And Achan saw some stuff. He thought, you know what? There's absolutely no reason. Doesn't make any sense to me why it is we ought to let all this good stuff uh, just go to waste. And, uh, you know, I know Joshua means well. I'm paraphrasing here, reading between the lines. Joshua means well, and I know he's a good leader, and he's been doing a good job. He got us us over the Jordan River and got us around this city these seven days, and the walls came tumbling down. But nobody's perfect, and Joshua, he doesn't know everything, does he? He might think he does, but he doesn't know everything, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I was talking to some of my buddies, and uh, we had a little committee to get together, and we had a little uh, little recovery committee, Jericho Recovery Committee, and uh, we got to talking about it in this little committee, and we decided now this really doesn't make any sense at all to destroy all of this. We're going to have needs. We're going to be uh, taking the land of Canaan. We're going to need some stuff. There's no use letting this go to waste, and I'll tell you, ladies and gentlemen, That greedy, greedy heart, the love of money, covetousness, had a hold on that man's heart. And he took some of that stuff and he hid it in his tent. When the warriors went out to fight against the little town of Ai, they got soundly defeated by the little bitty town of Ai. And they came back, ladies and gentlemen, defeated and discouraged. And Joshua got to praying and seeking God and God told him there's sin in the camp. Sin in the camp. The reason why that their army was defeated at Ai is because there was sin in the camp. And God led Joshua in an expedition to find out where the sin was. And in a process that I don't have time to describe, they found out that Achan was the man who had sinned. You know what his sin was, don't you? It was covetousness. This greedy man, out of greed covetousness, because of his covetousness, he took what it was not God's will for him to take. Hid it in his tent. And God told Joshua, won't you take him, his tent, all of his possessions, and his family outside the camp, and I want you to destroy it all and them all completely. And this man's covetousness, ladies and gentlemen, not only brought destruction to him personally, but to his entire family as well. Sure did. Maybe that's the reason why the writer of Proverbs said in Proverbs 15, 27, he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. That's right. You see, that's the reason why that we are warned against covetousness. It is a liar and a destroyer. Sure is. And you and I need to stop and do an accounting and ask ourselves a question. 
And that is, do I love possessions and money more than I should? You see, when possessions and money get out of our hand to be used for the glory of God and get into our heart so that we start loving that and our life starts revolving around that, then we've stepped into dangerous territory as far as God is concerned. And it can destroy you. It can destroy you in your soul, in your inner person, He can eat you up like a cancer and leave you but nothing but an empty shell that loves things and money more than God and people. It can destroy your family. Can I say to you that I've seen, listen, that I've seen families that won't talk to each other. I've seen siblings that won't have anything to do with each other. And you know why? It's because they're so greedy and so covetous. And gets, have been mad at each other for years. Because somebody got something that the other one didn't get. It'll destroy you. You personally, it'll destroy your family. It destroys your relationships. It destroys your personal character. Ladies and gentlemen, don't ever put it on. Don't ever wear it. If you see it in your heart, kill it immediately. Mortify it. Put it to death. It's time to do an accounting of our affection. Our affection for possessions and things and money. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work your work on the inside of us. You'd manifest your presence among us. We need your help. We need your leadership. We need your grace, God, in the area, Father, that we're preaching about. But God, I know there may be people here that are lost, have never turned to Christ, never received him as Lord of their life. And I pray that you do your work in those hearts, draw those persons to yourself, and save them by your grace this evening. And God, I pray, Father, that you would help us. Lord, those who are trapped, who've stepped into the snare of greed and covetousness, now find themselves trapped in a trap. God, I pray that you set the captives free tonight. Would you help them? God, would you do a work on the inside that would turn them in the right direction, the direction where they could find the help? God, that grace that only you can give, that mercy that you extend. God, that forgiveness that you give, that direction that you can, that you can provide. Father, would you help us tonight, Lord? We need it. And we're going to give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.